0: All right. Good evening. Welcome to the latest instalment of Building the Scottish State on Independence Live, and it's very, very lucky to be um, to have Angus McNeil, uh, MP uh, front for, with us for this evening. So, first of all, thanks for for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Yeah. Cheers. What's going on in Westminster? I mean, can you kind of, I mean, describe generally what is happening? It just seems as if it's in meltdown. I mean, from your perspective, what's... Well,
1: I think I think it's going to get worse. I'm not there much at the moment because of the COVID situation and trying not to take a COVID back to the islands. Um, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a worry. And, you know, I, I was chairing the uh, International Trade Committee yesterday and a committee was interrupted for about um, 15 minutes as the Secretary of State for International Trade went off to vote and the other members of the committee were in Westminster. And I said... Oh, well, we'll just pause for 15 minutes as some of you uh, return back to the 18th and 19th century. uh, And after 15 minutes, we'll return to the 21st century again where we can Zoom from different locations and not have to. So when they came back, I had a pop. I said, this is uh, not very great for... uh, for the uh, performance and the efficiency of the economy when people are having to stop and do in 15 minutes what they could do in about 10 to 20 to 25 seconds, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's to vote in the House of Commons. Um, so what is going on there? Well, there's, there will be... A, and there is a bit of nervousness, I think, about Brexit coming up. Um or at least there should be if they understand the situation and uh, it's heading for damage to the u k economy by either four point nine percent if there's a deal because it's going to be the deal's a hard brexit, mm-hmm. and if there's no deal, it's seven point six percent damage. so uh, it's not a great time uh, for Westminster, and of course to add to their woes where they thought they could ride roughshod over uh, Ireland uh, as they would as they do over Scotland at the moment uh in to the White House looks to be stepping a man who proclaims to be five eighths Irish. You will say that uh, Scranton is written on his soul, but Ireland is written on his heart, or right. vice versa. So uh, the, the difficulties might be mounting. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity for us, of course. Mm-hmm. Their are difficulties are opportunity. Exactly. And how do you see
0: that opportunity going forward, uh, it, with regard to, uh, I mean, uh, I know you've talked about having a proposed uh, debating plan B at the conference, which and you know, it was not taken up. Uh, what do you? What would you like to say about your views on Plan B and how we, how it, they might be able to be enacted?
1: Yeah, I mean it's very difficult as we know we've we had Plan A only going up to the 2019 election and it's in Plan A is effectively a veto for Boris, uh, so Boris vetoed it and said no and uh, we were stuck. We mm-hmm. couldn't do uh, anything more. It just sort of died at death in January, uh, and that was the end of it. Now, well the new proposal seems to be at conferences that we'll have the same plan, but we'll say it's unacceptable this time if he uses the veto that's within our plan. Mm -hmm. So I don't fully grasp how that works or how it's anyway a stick to scare Boris with. I mean, plan B is a stick. Uh, Plan B, I mean, plan A is firstly to understand it. It's asking Westminster to cooperate and to give permission to the Scottish government to ask a question to a particular channel to the Scottish people. Mm -hmm. So it's really a question, it's a request to ask a question of the people. A plan B, in the absence of that, asks them the question and gets the answer. And the answer would be, at a ballot box, the most legal, at at an election, the ballot box in an election, the most legal and the most internationally recognised process a country can have at its elections. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would ask the Scottish people at the election, vote SNP if you want independence, uh, and if you got... Uh, the majority there, and you would make sure it was. And actually, Boris would help you in this because by saying no in the election campaign to a referendum, everybody would know that there was no way to be any referendum and they, uh, through the Boris mechanism of the Section 30, he was vetoing it, therefore it would be quite clear uh, that the election was then going to be about uh, independence and you'd vote according, accordingly to that. Now, mm-hmm. with 58 support on independence, it's a great position for a party to be in. And I'm sure the Liberal Democrats must at times wish at least for party, uh, for party advantage purposes, that they themselves were the supporters of independence. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. And how? And what? Are you distraught that that we're not that it's not going to be debated? I mean, and how do you see the, the this you know plan A only as uh, as because I mean, if Boris hasn't uh, or, or whoever succeeds him. Uh, has uh, has a veto over uh, over Scotland. I mean, they're not going to let it go. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's too much there's too much of the economy that's dependent on it. So, I mean, how do you how do you see going forward with that, given the Boris veto?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try to be philosophical in life about things. I mean, what can you do? In many ways, we've uh, last year there was all sorts of nonsense put up. Firstly, we were told uh, that the they didn't accept the motion because they didn't like the wording of the motion and it wasn't done with the national secretary, they said. So um, the next thing, we couldn't amend another motion. They pulled the other motion so we couldn't put an amendment in. And the next thing, Chris McElhenney, God bless him, went all the way to Aberdeen to try and put the motion forward. I mean, I thought, there's no point going to Aberdeen, Chris. It's way the East Coast for me, I'm afraid. Um, It's... Put them furthest away you can get from the Hebrides, if you like. So, I says I'm not going because I don't think you're going to get very far. And poor Chris went up and did his best for independence and got booed by some people, uh, which um, is a bit strange to to, to say the least. I tried like to be philosophical, but I mean, I think if you get serious about it, and away from philosophy for a minute, I mean, why do we want independence? Independence is a serious issue. We want to we want to sort a lot of uh, problems in Scottish society, we can't solve those problems without independence. Absolutely. Yeah. If we continue to have governments foisted on us that we don't elect, we'll have the nonsense with Rishi Sunak today deciding that if Scotland wants to uh, change its situation, it can raise taxes. Now, at this moment in time, Rishi Sunak is not raising taxes in the UK. He's doing the very opposite of raising taxes. He's printing money because he knows the economy needs liquidity yeah. uh, to to stop the friction in the economy, to stop it grinding to a halt. Uh, yet Scotland gets patronised to that. In instances of, I mean, the Child Poverty Alliance apparently expect mm-hmm. child poverty to rise in Scotland in the next number of years. So on our side, the serious point is if, if we are not urgently about independent, we are, at, at this moment, we're condemning probably another generation of kids, which is, a, you know, a zero to fives, mm-hmm. of a bad start in life. Um, and that and that is a serious thing. Now, I know it's a serious thing. Um how do we get out of that? And the logjam's within ourselves. I mean, the cupboard is bare because of our own choices on our side. This isn't some uh, dastardly unionist plot. This is us deciding to take a particular course of action that some of us have called a gold standard. Uh, the gold standard being Boris not vetoing uh, the right of self-determination, which, of course, if you give Boris the veto on your self-determination,
0: yeah. it
1: is not self-determination. Um So you know, we're leaving a lot of people in a in a dire situation at the mercy of the Tories. We've seen what they've done in the past with bedroom taxes, with, with sanctions on DWP. Uh, you can go on and on and on. Uh, and you can see that Ireland clearly doesn't want to go back. It's leapfrogged the UK. Ireland was the worst part of the UK when it left it. It lost the six counties with the majority of its industry. I mean, about three quarters of its industry. And you come back today, just about 100 years later, and Ireland's the best part of the British yeah, absolutely. Isles. Absolutely. It's become absolutely. independent. And, you know, if we ourselves in Scotland can't take the opportunities and there's, I mean, from I speak to people in Iceland, the Faroe Islands, Norway and in Ireland. And they're absolutely amazed uh, that Scotland is still where Scotland is. Mm -hmm. Was it John Steinbeck? Was it the the chat between John Steinbeck and Jackie Onassis that said uh, Scotland was a lost cause? And the other said Scotland was an unwon cause. Uh, at least that's a that's a, a, a hope a bit of optimism there but it's many years since that conversation
0: yeah well, what about uh, alternate routes to independent even besides uh, you know a, a plan b because i think it'd be, it'd be it be would be good to game a lot of different scenarios and and, and publicly i i think that the whole uh, i get i get a little suspicious of, of the secrecy of the of the uh, uh, s and higher ups and not wanting to even really discuss it
1: uh, how how do you see that do you uh, do you there's a good- well, because he's got a problem when you need a mandate, it's very hard to go to the people and say, We've got a secret. Can you give us a mandate for it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> quite how you get a secret to have a mandate, you know, you've got to be open with the public, you've got to be honest, you've got to like, say what you think you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I think the difficulty, I mean, if plan A works, right, you can have top plan B, but if plan A works, you don't need plan B. You know, if, if plan A is a goer, um, it's going to happen. So plan B is superfluous. So let's say that we run the 2021 election with Plan A and it's so good it's going to work. Then stick in Plan B, C, D and E because Plan A is going to work. If you've got that much confidence of Plan A, you don't need Plan B. You can stick up another 10 dozen plans in there because it's fine. Mm. But the reality is if you leave yourself without a stick and Plan B is a stick, um, then Plan A is, as we've seen, has been vetoed already several times. And as for other plans, yeah, I'm open to anything. I mean, I'm sure that myself and uh, Chris McElhenney in all our thinking, we haven't we haven't probably come in with the best plan. I know it's a better plan than plan a evident which has been vetoed uh but hopefully somebody out there might even even have a better plan
0: well uh actually uh i don't know if you've have you uh, run across the digi- digital covenant
1: I've heard about it yeah, and yeah, I yeah so go, stick go inside, twitter for not too yeah. much about it. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry anybody that's the digital covenant, but it's not something that. It's them thinking, it sounds like a good idea, though. But you know, well, it,
0: well, basically, just just to explain what it is, we've we've spent hundreds of hours with developers developing a blockchain
1: platform. I was going to say, is it blockchain? Yeah, yeah okay, exactly, oh.
0: exactly. And uh, it's very, uh, we've we've got it so that the price of the gas is very low, and so conceivably it could measure. Uh, a majority for Scotland, it completely irrefutable. I mean, there's no way that you can you know take you know if 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 it was to be the means to achieve independence. and I sent uh, an email to the Scottish parliamentarians, uh, including yourself, you may but I didn't notice, but just saying that if 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 the Scottish government engaged to declare independence once the enough signatures were made on the, uh, on, the, on, the on the on the on the blockchain, that could that, that could be that could be a way of doing it. Uh, I've I, again, I sent the idea to these uh, the people, Sc- people in the Scottish government, and they just they didn't want to touch it. You know, I mean, they just didn't.
1: Yeah, I was in a Zoom with the Infemblin branch, and somebody said, It seems like the hierarchy of the SNP won't countenance anything they haven't thought of or sanctioned themselves. Yeah. You know, and surely there's many ways to skin a cat. If well, man, no, no one ever go cat lovers out there, but you know, in these sensitive times, you better be careful. Um, you know, there's many ways to do things. Um, and You know, I I think one thing I hope that myself and Chris McElhenney have the humility to say this might not be the best. And if a better one comes along, then let's go with that. Uh, It just seems at the moment we don't have a better one. And mm -hmm. if we are blocked from having a referendum, we've got to allow the Scottish people to speak at the ballot box at something that's legal, which is an election, which is internationally recognized, which is an election. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, let the people... You can't say in an election, in a democracy, you're not allowed to talk about something so you you can't make certain choices. Mm -hmm. In a democracy, you should be able to put anything forward to the people. People accept or reject it. Mm -hmm. And in that case, let's let's give that a go. And it's feasible. Plan B has got one drawback. The people could say no to independence at the 2021 election. Mm -hmm. However, I'd be prepared to take my chances when the polls are showing 58% and rising and we expect them from what we were hearing two years ago with Brexit coming up, that these polls would be at 59%. So the day they hit 59% and above, we've got new people really coming out of independence, those who hadn't, who hadn't had independence with caveats before. We will have genuinely, totally new to independence because at the moment, independence independence with the caveat of Brexit was up to 59%. Over that will be people who have just changed their mind on in independence. So we've nothing to fear, I would say, in, in this climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because
0: uh, do you and do you feel that the uh, the logic I p- spoke with Pete Wishard last week and you know there's the logic that Boris must respect democracy and you know he must uh, you know grant a section thirty because there is popular support. But I I just don't see that happening. I, I don't I don't I don't I don't I mean I've seen the way the the, the the Tories have been and you know their relationship with Rupert Murdoch and the billionaires and stuff like that and how uh, and 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 how it um, how they've really driven Brexit, but also just that Boris Johnson is completely impermeable to political pressure. I mean, that, that's just my view. And I, I don't see how even rising support, uh, you know, w- would would induce uh, Boris Johnson or anybody, any Tory that succeeded him that, that he should give it. I mean,
1: do you do you follow that logic or? Yeah, I mean, my, my good colleague, Peter Richard, has a particular view. And, you know, I think in, in, in fairness to Peter, 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 he wanted to have this debated conference too. Mm-hmm. Um, he just feels, or maybe Peter hasn't uttered these words, but I know some colleagues have he uttered these words, that it's unsustainable, this position of Boris, yeah. of saying no to Section 30. Well, there's two things that probably say to that. You know, Boris has many unsustainable positions. Probably the least of his unsustainable positions is about Scotland. Scotland is oh, 8.1% of Boris's UK, and the support for independence is, what, 58% of that 8.1%, which I won't pause with the calculator at the moment, but we're talking about 5% of Boris's UK wants Scottish independence, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing is, it was unsustainable, we said, in the 80s for Margaret Thatcher to hold a position against having a Scottish parliament, particularly, I can remember, it was the 83 or the 87 election, we talked about something called a doomsday scenario when there wouldn't be enough Tories to man the Scottish office. And this came and went, and there was no doom and there was no scenario. Um, And this unsustainable situation that Margaret Thatcher had was, 18 years. It lasted from my being, um, I think the Tories, I I was nine Mm -hmm. and the Tories were out of power when I was 27. Uh, I think I was about to turn nine. I was about to turn 27 when they were out of power. And you know, the unsustainable scenario of not having a Scottish Parliament or any movement in the Scottish Parliament lasted until England got rid of the Tories and Mm -hmm. voted Labour. And then with the Labour MPs we had at the time, they were backed into that corner because they knew what was waiting for them was the SNP, instead if they didn't deliver uh, a, a Scottish parliament in '99, So we, we got that in jig time. But And the point is, it was unsustainable for the Tories for 18 years. Did it bother the Tories? Not in the least. No. They carried on with their insustainability towards Scotland. So I'm not prepared at the age of 50 to wait till I'm 68 of another 18 years of Tory unsustainability uh, not delivering for Scotland. Let's see. Um
0: Angus, will our MPs walk out of Westminster when Brexit or the internal market bill has been has been
1: passed? Uh, if you want me to bet on that, I'd say probably not. Um, should they? Well, I mean, there's a number of things tactically. Uh, maybe we shouldn't have participated in the remote voting, when it, in the proxy voting when it ended. Uh, no, I think we'll still stay there um, uh, at the moment uh, with Brexit and with um, with the internal market bill. I mean, I think what... We should stay there until independence. We should be guided by that. I mean, if we go away and we have nothing to go away to, um, that's what's the point in that. Um, keep fighting. But, I mean, we should be creating a scenario. The issue shouldn't be going, because we're so frustrated we walk away to the internal market bill or Brexit. We should be creating the scenario ourselves uh, to make sure there's no uh, right for us to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Donegal South MP, I remember a guy, I read about him, I think it's Donegal South. His surname was McNeil. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the 1900s um, or up to the 1920s, he, um, he's no longer there. There's nobody from Donegal there anymore. There's nobody from Galway there anymore. We should create the scenario where we're not needed there. The problem is is that we're not creating a scenario ourselves as, as an SNP. Can you imagine at the time, or just think back, being back in the day of the, was the 23rd of June 2016, mm-hmm. and the Scottish election has just been, and we've warned them, don't do Brexit don't do Brexit, we've said, or else we'd reserve the right for an independence referendum. Can you imagine that we've come to the end of that parliamentary term from uh, the 2016 Parliament in Scotland to the 2021 Parliament and we've got nowhere near an independence referendum? Yeah. Nowhere We've had several rejections, uh, we haven't managed to deliver anything ourselves, and we've got the promise at the moment of a draft, of a, promise it's a, a, a publish a draft bill that's what it is. Uh, two months ago, so I'm. I put on Twitter. The month has passed since the promise to publish the draft bill yesterday. But on two months has passed since we have published the promise to publish the draft bill. I haven't heard about it, um, and I don't know when this draft bill is going to be published. If be ahead further than that, I'm sorry, you know, to, uh, but you know, we really should be. And you know, we wasted the 2019 election in my favour. I've got to be. I've got to be critical about what we've done there. We should have asked the question on the section 30. I asked it a year before. Actually, and got to know. Uh, from from Theresa May's government. But well, we should have asked it before the election um, and got the answer before the election and then changed our mandate, asked knowing we're getting a no. But no, we waited. We ran forward and said, there's momentum behind plan A. We don't need plan B. And the words were used by the party leadership at conference. It's got momentum. Stick with plan A. And pe- some people thought there was a secret plan. Now, well, the secret plan is there was no secret plan. That's the big secret. Um, and surely we've learned in the last year you can't have secret plans because secret plans cannot have mandates mm-hmm. um, so we did our section 30 we got a no the momentum was stone dead mm-hmm. and that's the end of section 30 but now we think we can do it again uh, for, and have the same scenario playing out in 2021 and 2022 yeah well, uh, as a, again, I, I want to I hope kind of I'm point wrong. Can I say this. I, I hope, hope I'm wrong. wrong. I hope
0: I'm wrong. Yeah, exactly. Well, just in, in terms of because the covenant is not actually for independence. It 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 affirms an, a majority in favor of ending the treaty of union. So it's not you know it's so, so it's independence in that way. Right? If, I mean, if, if the UK can withdraw from a treaty in the EU, why can't Scotland withdraw from a treaty with you know with, with the UK? I
1: mean, there's no. Okay. The, the the one question I'd put to you then is the the UK left the um, EU by demonstrating uh, popular well a popular will through a referendum across the UK for Brexit. How, how, would, how would the Covenant, because I don't know enough about it, how would the Covenant work in with the okay of the people, if you like? It's,
0: not, it's very non-political. It, you can read it, to, you know, I mean, go to yeah. digitalcovenant.scot uh, and please sign. Uh, but it, it, but it, but it basically it it, it affirms a majority of Scottish uh, public opinion, irrefutable uh, that that uh, that ends the union. So it doesn't, and uh, and as far, as far as international law, it's completely legal uh, in the sense that uh, you know independence has come come around by you know a lot of different ways depending on the country, and there's no and for for international
1: recognition, there's no one. It doesn't necessarily have to be through a referendum, but if yeah. you OK, I understand what you're saying, because what a referendum really say de- determines on the last uh, election, uh, the last of the 2014 referendum, 1.8 million people were basically the, the decision makers, because that's the majority of the electorate that yeah. turned out to vote. So if you get something like 1.8 million people sending a digital covenant that up to 2 million people, you've got the effective majority there. Okay. Exactly, so, exactly. So you've demonstrated the legitimacy of the will of the people through a new blockchain thing, the old thing, the ballot box. Is, is, is exactly. Argument, okay.
0: exactly. So, and it's a completely, uh, even if there was a referendum held, I mean, it, we're in a pandemic. I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, mail-in ballots, they're very suspicious after what happened back in 2014. Uh, this is just completely incorruptible. You know, and, and have yeah,
1: in, bro- looked into you it.
0: sign it, and then you get a transaction code that's like uh, I don't know, 25, 25 or thirty letters, and so and that and that can later that can serve the, the as the basis of um, uh, the self uh, self sovereign identity, building a kind of a very you know digital state. You know, uh, after that and so it can it serve as the basis of that so I, I know it's kind of hard to explain and, and to sort of synthesize but that's basically what it is is it's yeah. again a, a, an irrefutable majority support for ending the union rather than asking for a West section 30 order etc yeah
1: so, okay okay well we're we're just, good luck we'll cover well, yeah the, we'll start.
0: speak to your colleagues about it and, and by all means sign but uh you know i mean the main thing is we need to get it so that this is the legitimate route to independence given I mean, you know, again, pandemic, postal voting, fraud, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, talk to your colleagues about it and just see if yeah. if, if these uh, seeds can grow. Well,
1: I mean, I think that's that's the point, you know, uh, that I was making earlier. Is you know, you can't see that the idea you've come up with is the best idea. If somebody comes up with a better idea or an idea that can de- deliver, it might even be the best idea that delivers or the, what you think is a cleverest mechanism or whatever. We're already delivering. I mean, we've already
0: got uh, you know some, uh, well over two thousand or so verified signatures, and so I mean we're gro- we're we're growing slowly, but obviously it's uh-huh. you know we don't have you know money dark money to put commercials on and stuff like that. To promote. Yeah, yeah.
1: So if the independence movement was behind it or understood it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I say understood it, I'm. I'm You might have seen them. I'm learning about it as I speak to you. Exactly.
0: Well, take your time and go have a look at it. Also, uh, I've been developing for several years a digitalcovenant.scot. No, sorry, Uh, wiki.scottishconstitution.com. If you want to scribble that down, have a look at it. But it's basically a constitution and a legal framework that... We could use and merge with the blockchain for, format to, uh, you know, to di- you know, build a, a true digital state. So uh,
1: wiki.scot.constitution.com. Said? Yeah,
0: wiki.scottishconstitution.com. Scottishconstitution.com. Oh, okay. Excellent.
1: Okay. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Trusty pen. The pen or the pencil might mighty. Yeah, I know. Store. I know like as my, as my late father often used to say, <laughs> one of his favorite <laughs> yeah. sayings.
0: So, um, and wh- how do you see Brexit? Uh, know, playing out. I mean, uh, it, it seems to me as if he's, Boris is trying to see who's president so that, you know, um, before, you know, de- deciding
1: which humiliation, <laughs> which humiliation route to take. But uh, yeah, because well, yeah, I think he noticed that both the Democrats and the Republicans are putting up roadblocks to him. And I think with the likes of Brendan Boyle, the the congressman from uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area, he's very much, he's, I think he's got Irish parents. He, he, he knows his story very well. Yeah. Um, Uh, Mike um, sorry not Mike Pence but Joe Biden is very uh, available uh, uh, very uh, aware of the Irish story um, big Irish heritage I mean I think for Brexit to take a step back from Ireland and there for a moment is to it's the numbers for Brexit I mean I'm looking at the the Japan deal at the moment I know my working day is looking at the Japan trade agreement but to give you an idea the Japan trade agreement is about a 0.07% gain of GDP over WTO Mm -hmm. and it's not actually a gain that has been verified by the UK government versus what we currently have as part of the EU with Japan. Um, so we might be a negligible gain. But anyway, if we play that game and with a the figure they've got, over WTO is a 0.07% gain. Um, Brexit itself, if there's a deal, is a 4.9% loss of GDP. Mm. And if it's a no deal, it's a 7.6% loss. Now, if you divide those figures up, the 4.9 goes in 70 times. So... The Japan deal is only a seventieth of the gain, and the the of of a deal Brexit, uh, which will be a loss. The deal Brexit. I hope people are following me. And a no deal Brexit is a big loss. It loses seven point six percent of GDP. One hundred and ten times more than the Japan deal. Now a few more numbers here. I hope people are following this. Uh, Japan is about a twentieth of the global economy. So if we need one hundred and ten of 20ths, we need about five and a half planets. Of people populated with Japan to make up the damage of Brexit. So Brexit is going to be destructive because we're or damaging the economy, destructive of jobs because we're going to have queues at borders. We're friction at borders. We're going to probably the earliest things are seventy-mile tailbacks. We're talking about mm-hmm. uh, seven thousand lorries. Uh, we need an army. I'm saying we, as a UK, we need an army of about fifty thousand. People to be manning. Yeah,
0: um, but more, apparently that's more bureaucrats than the EU. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. Uh, they'll all be unelected as bureaucrats, of course. Are um, okay. and the the thing uh, there's only about five thousand in place. Uh, the amount of bureaucrats into the size of the British army. So, uh, it isn't good news. And I asked Boris about this because I, I warned him that the um, that the Brexit little, uh, shenanigans will be of nothing compared to the empty shelves of Brexit. And, you know, I'm sure Sainsbury's are telling this quietly in other supermarkets. Uh, everybody's worried about uh, the just-in-time manufacturing, getting food on the shelves, price of food, uh, everything else, and the slowness because of what looks like it's going to happen. And it looks to me the UK government has not grasped this. The occasional times they do grasp it, they get annoyed uh, with the businesses uh, across the UK that don't seem to fully be taking advantage or aren't awake to what's coming their way, no, this sort of the sort of stuff that's heading the way of the UK was not written on a bus. And do remember, we're now down to scenarios. We've lost the single market. We've lost the customs union. And today we had um, briefings from uh, Department of International Trade officials saying, whenever you have trade agreements and move away from WTO and get rid of barriers, there are economic gains, of course putting up barriers as Brexit is doing, will lead to economic losses. And that will lead to jobs. And GDP translates basically into jobs, into wealth, and it probably, unfortunately, translates into child poverty, and it relates uh, to uh, difficult and financially stressful times for people. And that, and that is what those numbers hide, and that is the serious side of um of the discussion about Brexit, there's a lot of people are going to be hit badly uh, by Brexit. I mean, I think I think Brexit over a, they expect that over about a ten year period, period according to the London School of Economics, uh, COVID is a 1.7 percent hit to the economy, so it's down now, but it will bounce back. Uh, but Brexit is three three times worse with a deal over ten years. And five and five times worse was no deal over ten years. Five times worse. Do
0: you think that the EU has gamed a a no deal to the extent that they would, you know, have enough plans in place to deal with Ireland and potentially Scotland as well? Who, I mean, it's pretty clear that they, you know, they see the polls as well as anybody, and they can see that there's a a very, you know, high support for for Scotland, and I'm sure they're sick of the UK government. So, I mean, I'm I'm wondering if, if if the EU will make some kind of proposals. Uh, you know, once once it's clear that there's no deal, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't imagine you're privy to anything, but what are you
1: doing on I'm I'm not really, but you know, if, if you're reading, you really pay attention to some of the runes around about, um, I think Neil Richmond's intervention a few weeks ago when he said, you know, Scotland, do the sensible thing and have offices in all the uh, EU capitals. Yeah. Get, make yourselves friends around the place. It's different again to 2014. The EU is a members club and we look after whoever happens to be members. That's why the Catalans have been cut adrift. Yeah. Uh, by the EU, very, very shamefully, of course, because the EU have got plenty to say about Belarus or Brazil or whatever else in the world. Rightly so, yeah. but nothing to say about Catalonia. It's the same time. I know, thing. I've, I've <laughs> been involved in that. I've spent a lot of time in Barcelona. Well, I, I see the flag there. Yeah, if you yeah, jail exactly. a Catalan politician, there's silence. If you jail yeah, no, I, I know.
0: I mean, I know a lot of the politicians. I know a lot of you know. I, again, I used to you know before COVID. I would go like several times a year for the Diada. You know, the eleventh of good. September, okay. and, uh, uh, and and yeah, I mean, the the, the Spanish government is just it's just horrific. I mean, you know, they're,
1: you know. Well, once you start to jail people who are Democrats who ask the people a question, you've got a problem. But it's a problem that's unrecognised by the EU. Anyway, the point regarding Scotland is that we know full well in 2014 that um, the UK could call on all the other members of the club to give them a hand with the wee messy bits of Scotland and make noises and whatever. The EU were hedging their bets because Scotland were independent. The EU were not going to be saying to four or five million people that you can't be in the EU. They're, they're not those sort of people. Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, you could join. And, you know, for those who call them paranoid Brexiteers, they would see it as the EU would never let them go because the empire of the EU wanted to grow. They're on their knees to Oslo and Reykjavik. Why were they going to not uh, give the same hopes to Edinburgh to, so the Brussels empire could grow? Um, that was then... You know, the, the mood music wasn't warm, but this time with the UK being out, the EU is free. There's no there's no repercussions at the top table from London. Yeah. The EU member states, the independent EU member states, the Brexiteers don't like them to be called up, but that's what they are to have a very different, they all have different foreign policies, They have very different policies towards Scotland. So yeah. I, I've just noticed we've got a chat bar on the side as well. I don't know if I should be answering. What,
0: if questions. you look through the, any of the questions and
1: you want to ask, uh, you want to... Um... I'm seeing a, a message from a Caroline Turner. Hi, Caroline. Should um, should shouldn't we have a central bank, a new constitution ratifying place for independence? Yeah, I think we should. I think it's a good book to read if nobody's, if people haven't read it. Although the more ask now, the more people have the deficit myth by Stephanie Kelton. It's not around at the moment, but that's uh, a great book to understand the benefits of having your own sovereign currency and how you can effectively print money uh, until inflation becomes an issue with, with fiat currencies, as long as you're not borrowing in other currencies, and how tax is one of the things you use to keep a break on inflation. Uh, it's a great book, a great read, but yeah, I absolutely agree with that, uh, that we should. Uh, have our own uh, central bank. I think it was somebody else asking about SNP conference. How do I feel about independence in the back burner during COVID? Well, I would, I've challenged about this publicly before. I think the Scottish government is doing absolutely every other part of its responsibilities. I don't think they've managed to say that we can't do anything about ferries or roads or whatever else. And it just seems like independence is the one thing that they put on the back burner, which, you know, I think... There's plenty of people elected in the SNP now, so that we could get on with it. Ray Crofter, uh, certainly a good surname. Uh, I read um, over 130 branch resolutions for conference have been rejected, and they being offered a post-conference governance review for January 24th. What's my opinion regarding how branch officer members think about policy-making procedure? Well, I'm frustrated, uh, and I know Tim Rideout's frustrated as well. Um, and I think there's nothing to be. Uh, lost by, by discussing matters. Um, somebody said the SNP is not a debating society. Well, a little bit of debate would help, um, and it would certainly help around the conference. We could
0: certainly organize a debate with Independence Live if we wanted to get, you know, um, why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we want to get is this as party policy. Um, sure. But if you can't get it to the, we found out in 2019, if you can't get in the conference floor to make your case to members, can't get it voted on. It actually, quite like, it's quite like the Boris scenario on the Section 30. Boris is not going to give a Section 30 because Boris doesn't want the question to be asked of the people. Uh, in this scenario, there's somebody somewhere doesn't want the question to be asked of the membership case the membership give an answer. So I've got a mechanism to get an answer from the people in Plan B. At the moment, I don't have a mechanism to get an answer from the SNP membership. So I would maybe need a Plan B for Plan B uh, so we can... <laughs> then move on. I mean, we can do it outside of the scope of the of the
0: SNP, but, you know, I mean, get more ideas on it, you know, what could, uh, you know, including the covenant or anything else that could bring it about. I mean, there, there's no, there, there's certainly no, um, nothing to stop us from speaking about it online.
1: But, uh, and I think I should give a plug to the All Under One Banner Assembly on the 14th of November. I've been asked if I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, I'll have to think of some words for you, but yep. Yeah. Have I signed the National Blockchain Covenant and says yes to Scotland? No. And I think I've had my knuckle slapped for that uh, very gently earlier uh, here by <laughs> Mark. Uh, it was very gentle indeed. On a scale of one to 10, f- how fumer you mind that plan B has been deleted from the SNP? Well, if I got a fumer, I would have blood pressure already from last year. So we just have to... Um, oh, I see you've run some of the questions as well already. Okay, so we'll just keep going. Sorry, Sorry Mark. Yeah, okay. And how do, you, how do you see once
0: independence is achieved through whatever method? The way that Scotland is going to be built is obviously so crucial for everything, you know, a, con, a, a clear constitution, uh, things that avoid the, the, you know, the unwritten constitution of, of, of Westminster. What do you think are the, the, are the basic things that should be in a constitution? Oh,
1: that's a big question. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that I'd like to see is not to have a centralized state. I'd like to see as uh, having a, almost the Swiss model of cantons mm-hmm. uh, and have have different uh, views across Scotland, I think one of the mistakes that was made of the Irish state. Now, I, I feel I feel almost uh, uh, bold, emboldened to say this because my mother was from Waterford, uh, my late mother, and um, was this sort of centralised in Dublin. It was the sort of the template of the UK onto Ireland, yeah. they the hereditary principles and a republic, but you know, it essentially wasn't. Although, you know, they make a great play of their counties, as we know if you follow Hurling and enter like that. Um, and I think the thing we need to do in Scotland is look at what the Swiss have done with the 26 cantons. Mm-hmm. You would look and hope that there would be some uh, real decision-making powers in, let's say, Caithness and Sutherland. Why not? I mean, it sounds sure, almost sure. bizarre at the moment to, to to sort of say that. But, you know, our councils, we've got 32 councils across Scotland. For Norway, Leslie Riddick's written a great book. Uh, Blossom, Norway, we've got about 320 councils if not 640 councils for the same mm-hmm. sort of size of population where there's real uh, feeling of local democracy and you can get things done. So I mean I think we should look to be different and not to be a centralised state mm-hmm. where it's centralised in Dublin or centralised in London or centralised in Edinburgh I think we should try and avoid that. I'm always remarking about how successful the Faroe Islands are. I'm almost <laughs> boring people. <with> the <laughs> They've trebled their uh, population uh, in the 20th century, the last hundred years. Um, they've got the best 4G in the world, uh, they've got undersea tunnels between their islands, they've got two built and two being built, and these are long tunnels, eight kilometres. I mean, the fourth bridge is nothing in comparison to what the 50,000 souls in the Faroe Islands are achieving. And most relevant today, uh, they've tested, uh, in for COVID-19, they've tested 300% of their population. Uh, the figures are easily found on the internet and uh, Faroe Islands testing or whatever it is of... So Anyway, you can find it. Um and they've banished COVID nineteen from the territory, not once, not twice, but now three times, and this is the third time they've banished it through through mass testing, and whenever the outbreaks come, they test and they look for and they look for um asymptomatics as well. And they found that of all the people that have had COVID nineteen in the Ferris, they're probably the most tested population in the world, eighty percent of them have been asymptomatic. And mm. uh, so, you know, if you're only looking for those with symptoms to test for COVID. There's been an awful lot more COVID going around if you're only concentrating on the 20% of the symptom. Um So, I mean, that's another template for us, and certainly in the Hebrides and the islands. But there's a programme on BBC Radio N'Gale today of soldiers from the Lovett Scouts who were up in the uh, pharaohs in 1940. Now, I always thought that pharaohs had moderately caught, caught up on the, um, say, Scotland and leapfrog this, but no, apparently, according to... Recordings of now dead soldiers from uh, US and uh, speaking in Gaelic, of course. They said that when they arrived in Torrsavon in uh, May 1940, they were uh, they were n- amazed at how far forward, they, or much further forward they were compared to the Hebrides. They had roads and electricity in their in their islands, something we didn't have until the 60s. Something we might have had in the 20s had we not been spending a lot of Scotland's money, according to the Church of Scotland, on empire services at the time. Yeah, and we high blood, blood pressure to some good ministers of the Church of Scotland, unfortunately, who, who did a lot of work. And then they stopped publici- publishing those figures of the amount of Scottish tax revenue that went to empire yeah. services. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I wasn't around at the time.
0: Yeah, so that, that's why I think it, it'd be it'd be really interesting, not, not only to debate the, the way forward, but also begin to engage in debates over what type of Country that would emerge from it, because uh, being a specialist of U.S. history and, and, uh, and civilization, uh, I know that you know when they wrote the, the, the U.S. Constitution in 1787, it was very much designed to be, be a state in which the people who own the country run it, and it's always been that way. You know, uh, the, the degree of popular participation has increased over time, but it's still very much run in the interests of the oligarchs, really, it always has been. And so that's the kind of thing that we need to obviously avoid in, you know, in, in an independent Scotland. What type, you know, we want something that's, you know, that, that is truly democratic, that, pe- you know, that people, because if it just became another oligarchy, it would be... Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I'm, absolutely. You, you want to see sort of uh, inequality. Sorry, I was smiling. But I want to address this point first. Oh, please, just, go ahead, go ahead. I see a Robert Freighter. I know Robert Freighter. Well, I know his sister Anne especially, uh, but he's just asked who was the best Centre he played with in the school rugby team? Uh, and I have the answer, it, it was uh, Robert Frater. Uh, so I hope you're doing well, Robert. Gotcha. Uh, I think he's in Wales at the moment, Robert, and might be learning Welsh. Um, but back to the, um, back to the uh, United States uh, issue. Uh, it's, you made a good point there. You've asked me a question about the Constitution. You can clearly see that I haven't given it as much thought over the other side of independence. I've given it some thought about the Hebrides, but not Scotland in general. Uh, but the Americans could run to the right in their constitution about what, eleven years later. Yes, uh, it was.
0: That's correct.
1: So, you know, let's let's involve the, the the Scottish people what we want to to do um and let it be be theirs. I mean, at the rate that it's going, if we have the eighteen years of unsustainable Toryism, so we shared eight for eighteen years that it's unsustainable that the Tories block our next constitutional move as they did in the eighties. And then we have eleven years. Well, I'll be sixty-eight I'll be, so it's 79 by the time we get to write the Constitution. We're talking about 29 years' time. Um, uh-huh. So maybe leave it to, to Robert Freighter and some other younger lads to, to have a look at what we need to do. Well, I mean,
0: I mean look at what I've done.
1: Look,
0: look at what I've done. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's developed from other previous uh, SNP constitutions that Neil McCormack and uh, Elliot Balmer went through it, and then I took it and made it into, uh, you know, I, I put in a lot of stuff that I see, you know, for example, Uh, that policy has to be based on empirical science. You know, they can't go running off to some think tank or, you know, getting all this complete garbage information and then putting it into policy. Uh, I mean, that's what we've seen with supply side economics, at least since the eighties, where, you know, this just absurd, uh, you know, ideologically driven research, uh, you know, that, that comes up with things like, well, the global warming doesn't exist and stuff like that. Uh, but but the, but the, all of the policies have to be based on empirical science and not some sham think tank. That's the kind of thing I you know I, I see putting in a constitution to make it so that the the the, the government has much, much more integrity, and uh, yeah. And uh, that's obviously. I mean,
1: there there are many countries to maybe look at with the constitutions around the world. I mean, I mentioned the Swiss. I know that the Norwegians have a constitution they almost uh, worship. Uh, I think Article 2 of the constitution is they they worship the constitution, but don't look at the detail. I think Article 2 is no Jesuit priests should be allowed in the kingdom of Norway. Uh, (laughs) It's just like. Product of its time, uh, but it's it's something a Norwegian scholar told me. Just we just forget about the detail, but we quite like that that the constitution is able to have independence,
0: and and that's why a constitution can be updatable. I mean, yeah, yeah that's the, a good point the way, yeah. the, the way that, for example, I mean, the U.S. Constitution, it has it's been amended twenty-seven times. Uh, there was the first ten was the Bill of Rights, and then seventeen times since then. But they're just tacking on stuff. To the end of the Constitution, why shouldn't yeah. you be able to go and change the actual wording? Because you've still got the three-fifths compromise in there, uh, the electoral college, which we're seeing crumble before our eyes as we speak, uh, and, uh, you know, give another, you may perhaps potentially giving another t- uh, term to Trump, even though, he didn't, even though he didn't win the popular vote. I mean, that's all possible. And, and it's because, you know, the, 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 it, it's completely frozen in time. The, yeah. the Constitution. It, it's it's and and there's definitely ways of adapting it through. And, and
1: and, and, and when you when you look at the when, you, when we think about the seventeen eighty seven constitutional writers, they would have been people of their time. They weren't worshiping the past. Right. They were making something for that made sense in their time. So there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom to that that we be actually very true to the original writers of the American Constitution to do exactly what they did, but for the modern day. Yeah. Uh, without, without worship in the past, I mean, for how many years did the Americans go forward worship in the past? And the right to bear arms is always one that I uh, quite enjoy. Oh, oh, absolutely! And you I, don't I have did the right an article. A missile though, in America, a private nuclear missile. But I mean, it's an armament, so.
0: I, I did an article a few years back for a conference about the the Constitution as holy writ. The idea that oh, you can't change it. You know, it's it's sacred. And of course, the Second Amendment is even more sacred. And, uh, but, but the idea that you, the, the idea of saying, look, you know, this, this is like running your government on Windows 1789, I mean, it's completely outdated. It is uh, dysfunctional. And, and, uh, and, 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 it, and it, one thing in the US Constitution, it doesn't have a guaranteed right to vote. It has amendments which say that, that voting will not be denied on this basis, but they don't, they're, they're nowhere in the United States is there an explicit right to vote. And so, you know i mean there's all kinds of you know barriers they're putting up to, to drive down participation and and they're able to do that because it's so de- it's so decentralized so having a you know a blockchain way of voting whether it be you could have referendums of different scopes you could have you know I mean, it's it's all possible so i'm just thinking ahead to because again if if scotland were just to, if they were to write a constitution behind closed doors and then send it out for either re- approval or rejection. That that doesn't leave a lot of room for popular participation. So that's just my view.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning. Yeah. Um I'm just saying. I was noticing that there were three questions: um, Jackie Anderson, Teresa Duffy, and Robert uh, Freer. Again, and um, Jackie's asking, "What advice advice now uh, on a practical level? What can you do?" I presume that's because Plan B has been knocked back, or the conference discussion has been knocked back. Well, I mean, what do we do? Do we just say yes to um, Motherhood Apple Pie kind of resolution or do we just um, remit the resolution back because it doesn't say very much? Um mean, they're possible so that we we can do two possible ways. Theresa, as you much as Irish heritage influence my desire for Scottish independence? I just don't think it has very much, to be honest. My mother and father were Labour voters and the first time I voted, I voted Labour in 1990 no No, 1988 at the Glasgow Central by-election. I made the mistake once. Uh,
0: I, I voted for, for the first year in Bush to caucus uh, in, in
1: 1988. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I I once I was um um oh, I just forgot the name. Uh, Mike Watson was a Labour candidate. Later Lord Watson. And I made the mistake of asking Alec Neal, uh, who's the SNP candidate in that first election? I voted in. So I voted Mike Watson. It was me. I guess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, the wrong one. So um. No, I, I suppose I always kept in my head Ireland and Scotland quite separately in their approach. I didn't know much about Irish politics, to probably to be honest, um, until I saw an Irish television history at one stage. Um so they were kind of, and they, I wasn't really greatly aware. Um, so mean, so Scottish independence has come along, I've, I can remember before I moved in my late teens, early 20s, looking for a scheme or reading history books to see if we could find something that would help our economy which always seemed to be like trundling along here in the Hebrides and it was only when we got a glimpse of what was happening in economics that it was all managed from the uh, Central Bank in London to keep the economy there sweetly bubbling along and the rest of us were in stop it from overheating and stop it from cooling, but the rest of us were left in a permafrost. I discovered that, you know, it's not, you're not remote in the Hebrides, as the Faroe Islands I mentioned earlier show, but you're remote from the centre of power over your life. And uh, what you've got to kind of do is, the understanding I had is you've got to move that centre of power nearer you and the people, which is one of the things I want Scottish independence. And then within Scotland, I don't want to see a situation where we have the Hebrides losing people. I want us to catch the Faroes and be better. Uh, and have people come in there, so thats would be sort of more of an economic style
0: uh, and Robert it, And what sort of constitutional mechanisms could you envision to allow for that to happen you know for people to be able to for people in the Hebrides or anywhere else to have a much more con- you know lo- local control
1: yeah, I mean I think there's a good example at the moment, so there's a there's it's a small example I'll expand on it sure, um, sure. Islands and Islands airports, so head, headquartered in Inverness, have got air traffic control in Stornoway and Benbecula, uh, and they're threatening to take those jobs out of uh, Stornoway, Benbecula, quality jobs, uh, paying upwards of fifty to sixty thousand salary a year, which is a great salary, very great salary in this in this part of the world, um, and they've very little turnover of staff, but they want to remote control this, and it's a sort of an empire building affair in Inver- Inverness, and this is the Scottish government own matter. In the Faroe Islands, they've got their own airline, their own ferry companies headquartered in their own place. Uh, they have their own a mobile phone telephone company, uh, awesome. tele, which gives contracts at the same-ish price as we have here in the UK, and it's publicly owned, doesn't get a subsidy, pays money back towards the government. And, um, and they've got a number of other things headquartered in their own place, their own airline, I said with Airbus A320s and what have you. they run ferry companies. So they were one time trying to run a ferry into Ullapool, they were telling me, but they difficulty with Ullapool because the Ullapool Port Authority didn't want them coming in after 10 o'clock at night. And they were going to run it then to Stornoway as part of a, a, an amelioration of use and of utilisation, let's say, of the ferry, but it didn't happen. It just they got frustrated. So what they did was just got another boat, boat, and run between Rotterdam um and and are on the east of Iceland. Um and that sort of ability in capital control uh and political decision making uh to enable you to do things for boat insurance and you often hear about Panama and Liberia have to flag a boat. Well if you flag it in the so you here the other end you have low insurance premiums because it's it's a, it's quality. And mm-hmm. um, so you look for little niches like that. But you can't do these little niches unless you've got the powers to make your own laws. And uh, you can do that within another framework, a Scottish framework. Um, you could do a number of things. I mean, the, the cantons are there in Switzerland showing you what you could do. But you know, we could we could we could do that in Scotland and we could make some real power out of the central belt. And you know, people might want to live in these places. Yes, exactly. I've I've got I've got a suspicion they would. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you you get the impression that the SNP hierarchy has a plan for what would happen after a referendum or how they would want to build the Scottish state? I mean, do you have any insight into that, of of what their thinking is? I mean, uh, you know, they had the 2014 White Paper. It had a kind of very bare bones, uh, you know, uh, interim constitution. But it was how do you how do you see that going forward? Tempting
1: as it would be for me to speculate. I think that's as a matter for them to come out with. I think there's plenty in the SNP with ideas. I mean, I think Iceland rewrote its constitution. The one flaw was they didn't they, they they didn't a citizens' constitution. They didn't move it forward. didn't move forward with it. But there are a number of ways and answers that we we can we can get to that. But you know, all that if you sort of uh, step by step, is uh, we could do all that. But if we don't if we don't capitalize at the moment on the 58 percent we've got, and if we take to having that 58 percent for granted for a long time, then all that could be pie-in-the-sky work because we've got to, at the moment our big job is to make sure that we get the 58% of goodwill towards Scotland and harness them uh, and make sure that they, we have a mechanism that they can express their views at the ballot box yeah. um, and illegal, obviously. That's yeah. why we'd have an election which would be probably the most legal and the most internationally recognised. Mm-hmm. Uh, referendums can be too uh, but you certainly, I mean, I've heard people talking about an illegal referendum. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm struggling in Scotland to see how you could have an illegal referendum. I can't imagine Who would go to the polling station to man the polling station? Who would Mm -hmm. go out at night to count the votes? How you'd involve the police to make sure there's, I mean, there's a number of questions. I mean, try one tomorrow if you want. I mean, you can, but I don't think it would have much traction. So the idea any referendum that's going to happen in Scotland, whether a Scottish Parliament organised and done, would have to be voted through the Scottish Parliament. Therefore, it couldn't become about if it wasn't legal um, or a Section 30 being legal or indeed just using. Uh, The ballot box and election, which I think is is the legality and internationally recognised event that happens to us every five years. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if we we don't
1: do it in 2021, we might be waiting to 2026. Uh, I'll be 55 then. uh, Yeah, 56. You know, but.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean that's 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 why I'm advocating the, the the covenant, you know, the digital covenant as a means to express majority support for independence because it can be done during a pandemic. All people have to do is, is sign, and uh, once we acquired say 2.2 million signatures, and if it was announced by you know you and others that you know once uh, th- this threshold was reached, that, that 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 they would that would give the Scottish government the, 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 the power to declare independence because they had the majority behind it. And I don't think the, the international community would have any problem with it whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, as long as, as long as independence comes around democratically, peacefully, you know, they're open. They're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're
1: not, you know, they're not religious on, you know, how. <laughs> I mean, no, nobody said, oh uh, we'll allow Slovakia, but we're not going to have Estonia, no chance at all. We don't like the we, way... the Estonians followed a particular route route that we don't like the Slovakian. No, what happens is the Slovakians like the Slovakian route and the rest of the world did. The Estonians like the Estonian route and the rest of the world did and onwards for all the rest of them. And if you like your own route and if your own country recognises it, then the rest of the world will. That's basically what international recognition comes from. If there's any way in Scotland that we don't recognise it, then that's a problem. Uh, But, you know, if you go to the ballot box and you say, do you vote for us today? on the 6th of May 2021, this is a vote for independence. And you say the only caveat to this is if Boris gives us a referendum and Boris is then asked, do you you give a referendum for the Scots or are the Scots going to be voting for independence on the 6th of May? And Boris couldn't, I'm not giving them a referendum. There you go, 6th of May, on we go. Now, we could say we're not giving you a referendum and we're not uh, recognising your vote on the 6th of May. Well, if the Scottish people have spoken and Boris does say that, He's in the territory then of Lukashenko in Belarus, not respecting the wishes, the democratic wishes in the ballot box. It'd be good to put Boris in that position. But we don't seem to have the stomach to do that, which is disappointing for me. Uh, it's frustrating, and uh, it should be something that we shouldn't be afraid of. We've already tried Plan A. This is Plan A's time. Uh, we tried the 29 election alone, the 2019 election alone. We should maybe try another route for 2021, make sure we get an answer from the people and force Boris. The one thing Boris doesn't want us to do is get an answer from the people. That's why Mm -hmm. he wouldn't give a Section 30. Because, Well, if I was Boris, I wouldn't give a Section 30 at the moment. Come on, be honest. If you were Boris, would you give a Section 30 when when somebody would send in the polls? Or anybody could potentially
0: replace him, Michael Gove, Jacob Rees-Bogg. I don't know. uh,
1: I mean, let's say that you were the UK Prime Minister, a Tory you wanted the union, and the polls for independence are sitting at 58%. And I come and ask you, and I say, hey, man, any chance of a referendum We're on 58%? you want to give it to me? Would you, would you give me that referendum with, I'm on 58% for what I want, and you don't want me to have this thing? I'm guessing you. If you're Boris, there's a last thing you want to do. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's
0: almost going on an hour, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, have you had a look through the questions? Yeah, the-
1: I think Robert Crater is asking a question about the, g- the green economy. Yeah, one thing about the green economy now is that wind and the cost of wind is coming in lower than its strike price. Um, and it's about the cheapest energy about and because they've developed the boats and the infrastructure and the techniques to put these in, in, in on land and on sea. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Scotland could do an awful lot more and we could uh, ensure the finance was available and the weather was available to it and also ensure that the jobs uh, that were on the construction side were being used and recycled in Scotland. So that I noticed that in America and Norway, very different types of capitalism. They always make sure... That there's a lot of uh, their own national content in things. They've got their own even shipping uh, laws in America, which would be looked as very market restrictive. It's they know market forces
0: is American. The way America works is that they spend, you know, there's this just astronomical figure that they spend on the military. But a lot of that over the years, so much of that has gone into de- developing the internet, developing pharmaceuticals, and many, many other things. And then so the taxpayers have paid all these dollars for this research but as soon as it it comes to fruition it's given off to the private sector i mean microsoft perfect example um you know or or many others probably the so it it's it's a question of socialism for the, the big business and you know oh, yeah. pull yourself yeah. up by your bootstraps for everybody else but the but there but the you know the big uh, the big corporations i mean especially pharmaceutical you know petroleum industry you know that have so much corporate corruption and you know i mean just un, unimaginable levels some of,
1: some some of the the anointed companies get 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 blessed with the, some of uncle sam's greenbacks courtesy of the Federal exactly Republic
0: and and of course as as i said basic research on things like uh, you know aerospace uh, it's 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 all Funded by the government, and uh, and then again it's, it's given back to private capital, and they, but, you know the people pay for it. The uh, and and then it's and you know it, and a lot of times the you know pr- uh, private universities get lots of grants to develop the technology, and then again it's given over to the private sector, and they they make all the profit themselves. That would be something nice to avoid in Scott. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the time. It's been... Uh, oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. But have, have a look at digitalcovenant.scot and Constitution.
1: Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, uh, I'll that Digital Covenant signed because after an hour of talking about it a couple of times, uh, I'll have my card marked if I don't. So.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, th-
1: thank you. And uh, you're
0: welcome back anytime. And it was a, I really enjoyed our discussion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I wish I'd seen what Peter Wishard was saying. I could have maybe have been prepared with some counterpoints to that. But I mean, I think a final point I would leave people with, and it's a point just to really emphasise. People say, what if we do vote for independence at the general election and the UK government refuses to recognise it? Well, that's a problem for the UK government. That's a real problem for the UK government. They're in Lukashenko's territory if they start to do that and the people want that. So we should be forcing them into those sort of uh, situations. Okay. Anyway, I'll send it all right. all right. Well, thank you so much and good night, and hope to have you back soon. Great. Thank, thank
0: you all. All right.